0: If they know, if we can discover and help them know that there is some genetic cause to their cancer or the cancer in the family, maybe we can start screening at an earlier age. Maybe we can screen more often. Maybe we can even prevent disease. This
1: is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg. Thanks for joining us. My guest is Kevin Sweet. Kevin is a geneticist here at the James and Kevin will fill us in on exactly what a geneticist does and why it's such an important part of creating a cancer-free world. And Kevin will also tell us all about the new Family Health Risk Calculator, a great new tool that anyone can log to and use to determine, based on your family history and your own medical history, your risk for developing cancer and heart disease information that can and will save lives. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin.
0: Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate being here.
1: Thanks for joining us. You're the second geneticist we've had, and it's a growing and really important field in cancer and a lot of other diseases. Mm -hmm. So give us a little of your background. How did you decide that this is what you were going to devote your professional life to?
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I, uh, I've always had an interest in psychology and biology. And so initially, my undergraduate degree from University of Wisconsin is in microbiology. And uh, after I graduated, I went down to Texas and worked in a lab doing cancer research for a number of years. And the lab next door to us actually had one of the first PCR machines, polymerase chain reaction machines, almost like a copy machine for DNA. Uh, and I remember going to meetings, and I was just amazed by the power of that technology, that one can actually amplify up DNA and study it in great detail.
1: Was this the decoding machine or the coding machine? For- so
0: similar, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, kind of like, a, like a DNA copy machine. And so essentially, they were studying a hereditary condition that caused uh, uh, neuropathy. And they were trying to find underlying genetic cause for this condition, Labors Hereditary Optical Neuropathy. And, you know, going to different meetings and listening to these other researchers, I was just struck by the power of that technology. And then I was in Texas for about five years. During that time, I was in a medical library kind of studying careers of the 21st century. And I heard the term genetic counseling. I read the term genetic counseling. (laughs) You'd not heard it before. Never heard it before. And, you know, this is really pretty much before the internet and uh, did some more research. Well, what is genetic counseling? And discovered that there was about six or seven graduate programs with degrees in genetic counseling. It's a master's of science degree. And Sarah Lawrence in New York was one of the colleges that had a program in genetic counseling. So I applied and got in and got my degree in genetic counseling.
1: Wow, so give me a, what time frame is this? Because I'm curious about when they really cracked the DNA code and, and learned genetics. Were you right there?
0: No, no, that, that, that was pretty long. Yeah, yeah, this was about early 1990s, um, and again, that was about the timeframe where technology changed that we had the ability to amplify up the DNA so we could study it in greater detail. And this was about the time that the Human Genome Project started. Let's sequence the human genome and figure out all of the individual uh, base pairs and letters.
1: Yeah, that's what I meant. They hadn't completed that code Correct. yet. Yep, okay, yeah, so you're yeah. you a real pioneer because you're even before the whole DNA code was was cracked and written and, and understood.
0: I guess you could say, yeah,
1: that, that's true. Because, yeah, there really cannot be or you can't get that far in genetics without the DNA code.
0: Right. You have to have the... Have to have the, I guess the the base pair sequence the, the 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 information for any of you in order to better decipher it. So yeah, this was early nineteen nineties uh, genetic counseling, and you know I, I really wanted to not only better understand how the technology is being applied, but how we could use it within a clinical setting, how we could read some of the DNA code, say like in cancer, cancer genetics, and maybe apply that to clinical care. So after school, then, I uh, worked at the Greenwood Genetics Center in South Carolina and then was uh, recruited to Ohio State in 1999. So in
1: 1999, what was sort of the genetics department like here? It was probably in its early stages. Very early stages. So uh, uh, Dr. Albert De La Chappell, Oh, um, I know of his work. He, He's a pioneer.
0: Yeah, he uh, helped recruit me to Ohio State, and we had... Well, three genetic counselors and um, Albert and another uh, MD uh, geneticist at the time. So it was just five of us in 1999. And um, yeah, we were just starting to make inroads into some of the clinics, especially some of the uh, breast cancer clinics and some of the colon cancer clinics with regard to clinical care and genetics. And if, if help
1: me say this properly, but Dr. Adela Chappelle, who just passed away a, a year or so ago, he... I'm not sure if he discovered is the right word. The He's connected with the Lynch syndrome genetic mutation that leads to colon and other types of cancer.
0: Correct. So him and Henry Lynch, which the syndrome is named yeah. after, were, um, I guess you could say, good buddies and also a fellow scientist who studied a lot of families with hereditary colon and ovarian and uterine cancer. And uh, from a gene discovery perspective, yes, they were the uh, discoverers of the... Uh, Genes that cause hereditary Lynch syndrome.
1: So, because of Dr. De La Chapelle being here and bringing in bright young guys like you, the James was really at the forefront of genetics.
0: You could say that, um, and it was interesting, even in you know um, the early two thousands. We had many families where there were patterns, family history patterns, which suggested there was some underlying hereditary cause. And I remember Elber was like, well, these are the families we need to collect. These are the families we need to study. These are the families that are going to lead to these gene discoveries that then we, again, can bring back into the clinic.
1: So you, we've talked just briefly about Lynch syndrome, which, which if you have that inherited genetic mutation, which leads to an increased risk of col- colon cancer and other types of cancer, what's another... Or two of the big genetic, inherited genetic mutations you found?
0: So, um, right, a lot of the gene discovery for Lynn syndrome um, was through Ohio State and other institutions. Uh, There is a lot of ongoing work in other hereditary cancer syndromes. So, hereditary breast ovarian cancer due to the BRCA1 and BRCA2 uh, genes uh, was a discovery, you know, in early. Uh, Late mid-1990s, early 2000s. There are probably a good 100 different hereditary cancer syndromes. Many of them are rarer than Lynch and hereditary breast ovarian cancer, but uh, syndromes, again, which one can, by looking at family history patterns, um, looking at certain types of cancer in a family, who has cancer, ages of onset, one can clinically define hereditary cancer as a syndrome within these families. With regard to gene mutations, Again, over the last, um, really, decade, and especially in the last few years, we've not only discovered more of these underlying genetic causes, but we have clinical testing that then can uh, determine who in the family has a mutation and who doesn't. Okay. So you can, just by by taking someone's
1: family history, you can determine if they're likely to have it, then you dial down with actual genetic testing and you... Uh, test them, if they have it, then you start testing family members.
0: Correct. So that's kind of where things have, you know, flash forward 20 years, initially it was looking at family history patterns or if an individual, say, had certain characteristics to their diagnosis. So if an individual is diagnosed with cancer at a young age, you know, breast cancer at age 45 or under, well, that, that should send up red flags. But even, you know, back in the early 1990s and 2000s and, you know, 2010 and such, yeah, we'd use family history primarily. Is is there a family history pattern here that might be suggestive for heredity? And if so, do we know the underlying genetic cause? Is genetic testing available? So for the BRCA genes, we've had testing available for 30 years now. Lynch syndrome, probably a good 20, 25 years. Some of these other hereditary cancer syndromes, the genes have been discovered more recently. But nowadays, here in 2023, we can pretty much test for the vast majority of known hereditary cancer. So the science of
1: testing caught up to the science of observation.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's really a good way of looking at it. But family history still remains kind of the yeah. gold standard for triaging, uh, helping assess risk. Who might be appropriate for genetic counseling and testing?
1: Oh, that leads us into the um, the family health risk calculator. But first, I think it's important for people to know why it's important to know your family history and to know if you might have a, heret- um, a hereditary genetic mutation. Why is that important and how can that
0: save lives? Well, I think it's very important because hereditary cancers often strike at a younger age. Sometimes they can strike more than once even in the same individual and they can be passed down through the generation. So a lot of families with hereditary risk for cancer or other diseases like heart disease might not even know they're at increased right. risk. You know, they develop cancer or maybe there's cancer in the family. They might not even perceive that they're at increased risk until they, they might develop cancer themselves. If they know, if we can discover and help them know that there is some genetic cause to their cancer or the cancer in the family, maybe we can start screening at an earlier age. Maybe we can screen more often. Maybe we can even prevent disease. And if we can identify a genetic marker, maybe we can test the family determine, well, yes, that individual is at increased risk. Maybe they should start their screening earlier. Maybe that individual's off the hook. They haven't inherited the family's marker. Right. So they, it can be a very powerful tool. Yeah,
1: it's good to know that you don't, just as important to know you don't have it as you do have it. We're going to take a quick break now. And when we come back, Kevin will fill us all in on where the idea came from and the technology for the, for the family health risk calculator.
0: You didn't choose cancer, but you can choose where to treat it. And when you choose the James at Ohio State, You're picking a team of experts who understand there is no routine cancer. You're opting for care from a highly specialized team dedicated to treating one type of cancer,
1: yours. A team that studies the unique makeup of your disease to develop a personalized treatment plan. You're choosing our region's only comprehensive cancer center designated by the National Cancer Institute.
0: Where more than 1,700 scientists are working on new treatments and new hope for every form of cancer.
1: At The James, you're making the choice to have the most advanced treatments, many of which were developed right here.
0: And you're choosing access to The James' world-class clinical trials, dedicated support services, and an unmatched survivorship program to support your life after cancer treatment. You didn't choose cancer, but the choice of where to treat it is clear.
1: We're back with Kevin Sweet, a James geneticist, and Kevin, let's dive in. Let's hear all about the Family Health Risk Calculator, which I understand goes back in, in different iterations a pretty long way.
0: It really does. So one of my uh, first job assignments uh, that Albert Daly Chappelle, Dr. Daly Chappelle, gave me when I joined uh, James back in 1999, it was called James Link. So this is the first iteration of a family history triage tool. James Link? James Link. it was named after the James. Yeah, okay. And essentially, uh, there were touchscreen kiosks in the lobby of the James Cancer Hospital. So patients and family members visiting and even the general public could add in their family history information or personal cancer history information. And every week we would download it and then assess it. And if there were some red flags that might suggest heredity, that maybe that individual should uh, be referred for genetic counseling and testing, they were mailed a letter. And uh, over a course of um, six years, we had about 6,000 people use that touchscreen kiosk. Wow. And we sent letters out, um, teach those individuals. And two things we discovered through that process. One, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of folks did not respond to the letter. So we didn't get a lot of uptake with regard to referral. Uh, And maybe, you know, we should automate the process. And that was the second iteration of the tool, which we'll talk about next. Another thing we discovered, we did a chart review study. So we took the information that the individual told us about their family history and their personal history and compared that to what was in a medical record. And we discovered that a lot of the folks, their family history wasn't being as um, uh, recorded in the medical record or assessed as as it should have been. And so we published this actually in a Journal of uh, Clinical Oncology in 2002, and said, you know, uh, you know, when we look at what individuals tell us in this kiosk versus what we see in the medical record, there's a discrepancy. And- well, do you think that
1: that's because back then in 1999 that the link between family history and cancer and heart disease just wasn't as well understood, and so primary care physicians just didn't think that it was as important as you've learned it now is.
0: That that's totally correct. That's that's spot on. Um in that um yeah, we didn't really know the value of family history with regard to assessment, especially yeah. for hereditary arrest. This wasn't something that was taught or really known. And also Uh, we noticed that if family history was taken, it was often either breast or colon cancer. No one asked about other types of cancers or asked about age of diagnosis and and so on. So internally within a James, then we did a lot of education. And in fact, uh, the director at the time, Dr. Clara Bloomfield, kind of issued a mandate and said, we need to take family history. We need to assess this family history. The second thing we discovered was patients weren't really following up even if we sent them a letter. Hey, you should come see us. Why why do you think that was? Well, you know, we did some focus groups of some of these individuals, and we learned that you know here they put all this work into giving us information. They wanted an immediate assessment. They wanted to hear right away, "Hey, am I at higher risk, and what should I do?" Rather than waiting a few weeks for that letter to arrive, and so. we uh, developed a second-generation tool, and we called it Family Health Link. And the reason we changed the name was, beyond just cancer algorithms, assessing cancer risk, we incorporated um, assessment for coronary heart disease. Both cancer and heart disease are very common diseases, and there's strong hereditary patterns that can be found for either disease. And so Family Health Link was launched as a website tool in 2007, and it allowed individuals to put in their personal or family history of cancer or heart disease, and it fully assessed risk on the spot. So if you put in your risk into this website, and you could um, get an assessment, and you could print off your assessment and give that to your doctor.
1: Now, was this one still a kiosk in the hospital, or was this an online um, app that people could do? This was only an online app. Okay. So where advanced, you'd advance to the stage of online Uh, app. Okay. Correct.
0: And so in 2007, 2008, the family health link app, uh, website was available for the general public. 2009, 2010, we incorporated into patient care, um, especially at the new uh, Stephanie Spillman Breast Center. So that, you know, when patients go in to register for their appointment, they can use the the family health, health link, uh, tool at that, at that time. and over the course of 10 years, until about 2016, 2017, when Family Health Link became outdated, we had about 240,000 people use that website. So it was well used.
1: So is there any way to quantify like, how many people you discovered had enough of a family history that you recommended genetic testing, which in turn would, would show that they had some sort of inherited genetic mutation?
0: Yes, we actually did another study. Um, where well, we looked at, again, kind of comparisons to what was entered into the family health link program as compared to what was in the chart. Uh, both uh, with regard to cancer history, and then we updated it and looked at heart disease history as well this time because we can compare both diseases, and found that about 21% of folks had some red flags. Wow. So, you know, it was pretty significant. One in five individuals had some red flags either for cancer or heart disease based on their personal or family history.
1: So that's more than 40,000 people out of 200,000. Wow, Correct. That's,
0: yeah. Yeah. that's a lot of people who uh, can be helped. Could, be benefit, could benefit from this tool, yeah. So in a way, I kind of look at cancer as the first wave of diseases, you know, common diseases where, you know, we knew a lot about family history. And then we learned more about the underlying genetic causation for a lot of these hereditary families. And from a clinical standpoint, testing became more cost effective and more practical and more useful. Heart disease is probably that second disease, yeah. common disease, that, that next wave, where over the years, our Family Health Link program was trying to assess the family history aspects. Now, flash forward to 2023, we have a lot of the clinical testing that's available for hereditary heart disease that wasn't there even five uh, so years the ago. the science is catching the up. The science has, has caught up, yeah. Okay. And now we're caught up to
1: the new um, Family Health Risk Calculator. So tell us about the th- third version.
0: Sure. So... You know, 2017, 2018, we noticed that the Family Health Link website was starting to get outdated. The algorithms we were using were outdated. So we said, well, let's get together and see if we can build a, a new tool, a third generation. And we uh, had a lot of help this time. Uh, we, Dr. Shelly Hovick is a communication expert here at OSU. She helped with regard to... Um, uh, Developing a more robust user experience and user interface with our new website, the Family Health Risk Calculator. We um, uh, worked with two local companies, Fort and Switchbox, which helped us also with the user experience and user interface, uh, but to also it, the to make engine. To make yeah. it look good. make it look good. And then the, the, the engine itself. Yeah. And then we uh, have more updated algorithms. So the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, the NCCN, now has guidelines, published guidelines. So that's flash forward again, 20 years. Now we have national guidelines in front of us to say, oh, if you have a diagnosis of breast cancer at 45 and under or a certain type of breast cancer, well, those are red flags for heredity, see genetic counseling and testing. So the Family Health Risk Calculator incorporates NCCN guidelines along with homemade algorithms. So ho- algorithms that our division of human genetics developed with regard to some of these rare or hereditary cancer syndromes. And then we worked with some of the specialists at the Ross with regard to the heart disease algorithms to get the most updated version into this new program. The Family Health Risk Calculator, again, it's a free tool available to the general public. Um, FamilyHealthRiskCalculator.osumc.edu is the website. Wait. Say that again slowly. edu. and
1: then Family Health Risk Calculator is all one word. Yeah. Dot osumc.edu. I say it three times because that's how much it takes me to remember something. So, okay, excellent. So people listening, check that out. So when they go on that, walk us through kind of what they'll see, the couple of the questions they'll be asked, and and how it sort of gives them an answer.
0: Sure. So going to that website, um, some of the updates uh, as compared to the, the prior tools, one can choose as they go into the website, you can establish an account. And that allows you to go back. So let's say you go in and you start entering your personal or family history information and you might not know all the exact ages of diagnosis, for example. Maybe right. you knew or you know that your aunt uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer, but you're not certain about the type of breast cancer at age of diagnosis. So by establishing an account, you can start the process and then go back as many times as you want to update your assessment. It also allows you to choose if you want to learn more about your heart disease or cancer. So rather than doing both at once, you can choose, you can do both, but you can choose which one you want to do first and then second. The updated tool allows you to not only get an automated assessment, but then print off your assessment and share your assessment with your doctor directly. So you can email your doctor Uh, your assessment. You can email your assessment to your family members so you can raise awareness within the family. Oh that that's a, I'm glad you said that because that was my next question if you have
1: an elevated risk for cancer or heart disease what should you do and you sort of you started that you should talk to your primary care physician sounds like the first step
0: that's that's probably the best first step um either email or uh, bring in that, that assessment from the family health risk calculator to your doctor so you can talk about you know the family history. Um, and uh, the assessment itself uh, describes the process of genetic counseling and testing. So that might be a good next step after talking to your doctor is actually being referred for genetic counseling and testing where we can sit down, you know, discuss your personal and family history information in more detail, talk about the process of genetic testing, how that might be of benefit And so on. So you talk to your doctor, and if you and your doctor
1: say, you know what? Yeah, it looks like genetic testing is a good idea. I'm going to refer you to Ohio State and the James for genetic counseling testing. Uh, They get an appointment. They see you or someone. What what do you test for? Like how many things do you test for, or how does that work?
0: So the process of genetic testing has become a a little bit easier and more user-friendly. Um, nowadays, rather than doing single genes, say looking at the BRCA1 right. and BRCA2 genes, we do panel testing. And the costs have come down considerably. The technology has improved. It's next generation sequencing. So essentially, we could do a whole panel of genes on one swoop. So taking a blood sample or saliva sample. Panel uh, meaning 10, 20, how, how many? You know, so uh, some, t- you know, that's a great question because. Uh, Often it depends on what we might see in the personal or family history. So if there's, you know, a history suggested for hereditary breast cancer, we might do a focus panel, which might be 20, 25 genes. Uh, it's not just the BRCA1 and BRCA2. There's about a dozen different breast ovarian cancer genes now. But we also know sometimes there can be overlap between the colon cancer syndromes and breast cancer. So doing a panel allows us to cover all the bases. But there are panels as large as 150 genes wow. that one could do. There's also nowadays, if an individual is diagnosed with cancer, often they might be doing sequencing of the tumor. And that's also looking at different cancer genes, sometimes 300, 500 different cancer genes and markers within the tumor itself. And so the technologies come to the point that sometimes we can mix and match. What do we see in a tumor with regard to genetic markers as to what we see in a bloodline with regard to genetic markers, and is there some consistency there?
1: Wow, and this is so important because if someone does, it comes back positive. Yes, you have BRCA or you have Lynch, you can then take steps to make sure that person gets the screening they need to live a long life.
0: Correct, so if they're uh, at risk, unaffected, right, maybe starting their screening at an earlier age and more often, let's say if you have a BRCA uh, uh, change and mutation, maybe starting your breast cancer screening at age 25 rather than 40 would be important. Maybe there's some increased risk for other cancers like ovarian cancer. Um, if you actually have a diagnosis of cancer, and we find that there's some underlying genetic cause to that cancer, that might also help with regard to your treatment. Yeah, maybe you know a certain type of chemotherapy or uh, certain types of PARP inhibitors would be appropriate with regard to advanced cancer treatment. It, it sounds like because the treatments are com- becoming so,
1: so much more specific and targeted to specific mutations that genetic counseling
0: and screening is going to become even more and more important as we go forward? Uh, I would say most definitely. Just because there's so much information, there's so much data there. Um, not only to interpret, but to interpret correctly and then apply correctly. And also to help the individual and the family understand, well, what does this mean in the context of that diagnosis and their treatment? And then also moving forward, who else in the family might be at increased risk. Yeah, that cascade screening of your siblings, your children.
1: Yeah, that saves lives across the country.
0: Yeah. It, it, it really does. It, and, you know, the, the technology costs have come down, too. So it's much more cost effective. Most insurance companies recognize it. I mentioned the NCC and criteria. Yeah. So most insurance companies recognize that, you know, if you meet certain criteria, they'll cover your tests. The cost of testing have come down. So, you know, even out of pocket, we can do this panel testing for 250 bucks. Wow. But the
1: family health risk calculator is free. So everyone should try that. And how long has it
0: been out? You know, about a year now. I would say we launched it um, yeah, in 2022 um so about a year. Boy, even with with COVID going
1: on and it, it's and people not getting as many screenings as they used to, I think it's even more important.
0: I would say so. You know, uh, being free and being um you know available to the public. I I hope that individuals take advantage of that to learn yeah. more about their risk both for hereditary cancer and heart disease.
1: You know, as you've been talking and and you mentioned Albert La Chappelle and Clara Bloomfield Two of the pioneers here at the James who are a married couple. There are so many things that are sort of their legacy of continuing to push the needle forward and impact the community. And this sounds like you are one of their legacies and this test is one of their legacies. And they're 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 still helping people.
0: It's amazing. They were they were wonderful. Uh, individuals that really contributed a lot, not only to, you know, the field of of cancer and our understanding and, you know, moving things forward tremendously, but just in general, they're just wonderful people. Yeah. Well, thanks for
1: sharing this story. I appreciate it. And again, everyone, it's familyhealthriskcalculator.osumc.edu. Yep. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solove Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.